This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. We'll be looking tonight at chapter 42, 1 through 43, 13. In other words, chapters 42 and 43. Hear the word of God. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Kariah, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us, whether it is good or bad, We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you, and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall not see war, or hear the sound of the trumpet, or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
as my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. The Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord our God says, declare to us, and we will do it. I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. Now, therefore, know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go and live. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God has sent him to them, Azariah, the son of Hoshaiah, and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live here. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, but they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Toppenes. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Toppenes, Take in your hands large stones and hide them in the mortar in the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Toppenes, in the sight of the men of Judah. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who were doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who were doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who were doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin. And he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt. And the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. Let's pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you for your word and to read it tonight. And Father, we pray that you would teach us those things you would have us to learn from this passage this evening. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of someone coming to you asking for advice, but you get the feeling that their mind is already made up. That they're not really looking to you for information so much as they are looking to you for a blessing on a predetermined course of action. 
Well, that's exactly the situation that we have here in our passage in Jeremiah this evening. You know from chapters 40, 41 that we've looked at before that uh, this was a time when Judah was in shambles. Uh, Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians because of their persistent rebellion against God. The Babylonians had deported many of the people, especially uh, the leadership of the land, to uh, Babylon, others as well. But there were those who were left behind, and uh, the Babylonians appointed Gedaliah to serve as the governor of the land in order to try to get things going again, to get a form of government going, to get agriculture going, an economy going uh, which served Babylon's interests in several ways, not the least of which was it, it allowed uh, Judah to continue to be there so as not to create a vacuum that Egypt might move into and fill. But as you know, in that passage, uh, Gedaliah, the Babylon-appointed governor of the land, was assassinated. Read about that in chapter 41 by Ishmael, son of Nethaniah. Not only did he assassinate Gedaliah, the governor, uh, but many of his uh, leaders who were with him. And then he slaughtered the group of 80 who came uh, to, to visit, to pay their respects. And then he kidnapped many of the remaining citizens there in Mizpah and was headed for Ammon with them. When Johanan, the son of Cariah, and those with him heard of what had happened, they overtook them. Uh, some sort of skirmish, uh, battle, maybe too big a word, uh, took place. Those who were kidnapped were able to flee, and they return with Johanan while Ishmael escapes. Uh, he had ten men, he now has eight men, and they head toward Ammon to the east. And the group that's left there with Johanan, we read in chapter 41, uh, verse 17, were intending to go to Egypt because of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, because they were afraid of them. And well, they might be, because uh, the governor that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed for the region had been assassinated. And instability, once again, was the, uh, the order of the day. Well, that's the situation that we have here. Things are in upheaval uh, and they're inclined to go to Egypt, uh, for one, to try to get away, to put as much distance between themselves and Babylon as they could. Babylon, of course, to the north. But also, there were Jewish expatriates already living in Egypt, those who had fled during the hard times of the siege and so forth, but those who had gone to Egypt to live well before that time. And so that seemed like an attractive option. But then, uh, as we have here, they they come to Jeremiah and they ask Jeremiah to pray for them what they should do. It seems there was at least some degree of hesitation, some degree of uncertainty as to what direction they should go in. But their question was basically this, where is a safe place? Where will we, we be safe from upheaval? Where will we be safe from warfare? Where will we be safe from economic disaster and famine? They're looking for a safe place. They're asking, where do we flee? Where do we find shelter? Where will we be safe? Not an unreasonable question. And yet how they go about it is, is all wrong. 
Well, let's look at this passage. I want to break it up into three parts. First of all, chapter uh, 42, verses 1 through 6, they do have the right instinct. That's the first thing, is this instinct. What, what is their inclination? Their instinct is right. They're headed for Egypt, but they stop and they say, wait, we should consult the Lord. We should pray about this. Uh, let's get Jeremiah to pray about this. Let's look at it. Their need, of course, is for guidance. Verses 1 through 3, the people are there. We read in verse 1, the least to the greatest, the leaders, all of them, basically. Now, this was not a large group. It was even smaller because of what they had just gone through with the slaughter of many of the other leaders and nobles. And once again, Jeremiah comes back on the scene. We talked last time uh, when we looked at Jeremiah how Jeremiah and Baruch are totally absent from all the chaos that was going on. The Lord spared him. Surely he would have been slain by Ishmael, uh, who was pro-Ammonite, who was anti-Babylon. And, and, of course, you know, if you've been with us in the study, that Jeremiah's message was surrender to the Babylonians. Yield to them. Uh, which, of course, got him labeled a traitor, turncoat. Uh, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a revolutionary like Ishmael certainly would have been glad to take Jeremiah out. The Lord protected him. He was somewhere else. He just wasn't even on the scene. But now he reappears. Their need is for guidance. They don't know what to do. They're not sure where to go. And so they request that Jeremiah intercede for them. Verse 2, they said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you. Pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we should do. They are looking for guidance, although, as events unfold, that you get the sense they already pretty much have their mind made up what they want to do. But I think at least to some degree, some percentage, they're still saying, well, we need guidance here. And so they asked Jeremiah to pray for them. Verse 4, Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. Now this is a change. Remember early on back in chapter 7, God said to Jeremiah, don't pray for them anymore. But now that God's judgment has fallen, now that Jerusalem has been destroyed, now that there's a whole new situation, Jeremiah says, I will pray for you. We'll ask for, for guidance for you, and I'll tell you whatever the Lord tells me. I'll keep nothing back from you. And then notice in verses 5 and 6 their promise. Obedience. That would be a new one for the, <laughs> the residents of Judah. And yet that's exactly what they pledge, is obedience. Verses 5 and 6. May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Notice the emphasis, whether it's good or bad. We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, before we move on from there, I do want you to just to notice something. The, the pronouns here are interesting. You don't want to put too much weight on them, but there does seem to be something going on here. Notice they come to Jeremiah... In verse 2, and they say, pray to the Lord your God for us. Almost as if they either sent some distance or are trying to create some distance between themselves and the Lord. Jeremiah, they go to pray to the Lord your God for us. Then notice what Jeremiah says in verse 4, I will pray to the Lord your God 
according to your request. I'll keep nothing back. And uh, and then they, they, they change their, their pronoun toward the end, verse 5 even. At the end they say, which the Lord your God sends to us. But then in verse 6 they say, the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, I don't want to make too much of that, uh, and yet, usually in Hebrew narrative like this, uh, often the meaning is in the details, and there does seem to be this this almost reluctant, reluctant acquiescence to acknowledge the Lord as their own God and not just Jeremiah's God. But their instinct is right. We need help. We need guidance. And please, Jeremiah, pray for us. We promise to do whatever the Lord says to you in answer to that prayer. Good instincts. That should be our instincts. When we're concerned, when we're afraid, when we're uncertain, when we don't know where to turn, instinct should always be to go to the Lord, to seek the Lord with a submissive heart. Lord, whatever you do, wherever you lead, I will go. I will do. I will submit. I will do. So what they say here on the face of it is absolutely delightful, especially in light of the the recent history of Jerusalem and its waywardness. But notice, while we have the right instinct in the first six verses, the next verses, 7 through 22, provide a difficult answer. A difficult answer. Beginning with a long wait, verse 7, at the end of ten days. Now remember, these are people who are on the move. Not only have they been traumatized by the destruction of Jerusalem, but they have been traumatized by the assassination of their leader, Gedaliah, afterwards. And just as order seems to be uh, arising out of the destruction, he's taken out of the picture. And then they're kidnapped, and then they're rescued after ten days. It seems God is not quite in the hurry that they might be. It seems that God is not quite in the hurry that you and I might be. Why ten days? The Lord could have just immediately come back. Jeremiah, you know, five minutes later, could have come back and said, well, I prayed and the Lord told me this. It seems as though God is, is, is just saying, hold on, wait a minute. Let's take a deep breath. There's no hurry here. Maybe they perceived some hurry and need to get away before the Babylonians retaliated for the assassination of their governor. Uh, maybe it was to increase their fear. Maybe it was to show them there was no need to fear. We don't know. But we do know it took 10 days for, the, for Jeremiah to get back to them with the answer from the Lord, presumably um, teaching them patience, making them wait, which that in itself is, is a lesson that we're often in a hurry. We want the answer now. We need direction yesterday. The Lord is not uh, in, in quite the hurry that we are. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he presents them with two options. So Jeremiah gathers the leadership, summons Johanan, the son of Cariah, all the commanders of the forces, not only the leadership, but the people, from the least to the greatest, which meant everybody, basically, all of them, and said, here's what the Lord said, to whom, by the way, reminder, you sent me, to present your plea for mercy before him. And he presents them with two options. Number one, verse 10, if you'll remain here in the land, the Lord says, I will build you up and not pull you down. I'll plant you and not pluck you up. I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Not that he regrets it, not that he's apologizing, but, but that time has come and gone. 
He's no longer threatening their destruction for disobedience. That event has, has come and gone. Uh, if you'll remain, I'll plant you. I'll relent. Do not fear the king of Babylon, which was precisely what they were fearing, what they were afraid of. God says, don't fear him. I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. God addresses their immediate fear, which is retribution from Nebuchadnezzar. God says, don't be afraid of him. I am with you. Great covenant promise, right? Be present with his people. I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I'll grant you mercy that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. So that's the first option. God says, if you stay here, I will protect you, I will bless you, I will prosper you, I will root you, I won't pluck you up, I'll protect you. In fact, uh, the king of Babylon will show mercy to you and let you remain in your own land. Verse 13, the other option, if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt where we will not hear war, see war, hear the sound of the trumpet, or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there, then the Lord threatens judgment on them. You do that, verse 16, the sword you fear shall overtake you in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you are afraid shall follow you after you, uh, after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword by famine and pestilence. What one commentator referred to as the Jeremiahic triad. You know, we're familiar with it. The sword, famine, and pestilence. It occurs actually later in verse 22. Now, sword, famine, pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster I will bring upon them. And then Jeremiah goes on, giving the word of the Lord in verses 18 and following, almost sensing that that really is their preference, their desire. And it may be that the people were headed to Egypt, had no thought of staying in the land at all, but thought, well, maybe the Lord has somewhere else for us to go. Maybe not Egypt, but maybe somewhere else. Surely, he doesn't want us to stay in the land. And yet that's exactly the difficult answer that the Lord gives. Egypt seemed like a safe place. It was farther from Babylon, within its borders. They were protected from Babylon, a Jewish community there already. Uh, they would be, uh, as they saw it, they, they would be away from war and the destruction of the city, all of that mess, the, the ravaging of the land, away from hearing the trumpet calling to battle, away from famine. It looked pretty good. And yet the, the Lord's answer is, no, stay in the land. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. You know, it reminds me of the proverb that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. It reminds me of the verse that says, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. Often God delights to confound human wisdom. Human wisdom says, go to Egypt. God says, stay here. In the most unlikely looking place, God says, I will bless you, I'll prosper you, I will protect you. Stay here. Did you ever pray and not really get the answer you were looking for? Or at least you didn't seem to? It's hard to submit to those, in, in those times, isn't it? Uh, when, when the answer of the Lord seems to be coming, you think, I really don't like that. I really don't want that. Often the Lord gives us difficult answers. But we have to remember that the way that seems right to us 
may ultimately be deadly. The difficult answer. Where is the safe place found? It's found in the will of the Lord. It's found in submission to the Lord. It's found in obedience to the Lord. Because you see, we try to flee to our Egypts for safety. Whether trying to avoid sickness or trying to provide for our lives through our retirement accounts or trying to do this or trying to do that. Whereas in fact, any safety we feel in our health, in our financial status, in our social status, in our geography, whatever it might be, is a complete illusion. There is no safe place except in submission to and in obedience to the Lord Jesus, to the Lord our God. First of all, eternally, of course, trusting in him for our eternal well-being. But then what sometimes seems even harder, and that is trusting in him for our temporal well-being. How do you make your decisions? Do you just go by what seems right to you? Or do you go by the light of God's word? Do you make decisions that may be difficult on a human level, but trusting that God has led you in that way, or, or certainly trusting that God has directed you according to his word, to the clear teaching of scripture, which we dare not cross? Where is safety found? It's found in obedience to the Lord. Unfortunately, that's not where the people went. They not only disobeyed the, the, the instruction of the Lord, but they also violated the commandment of God by taking the name of God in vain. Did you notice they invoked the Lord in the oath that they made? Verse 5, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. Well, he is. Because that's exactly what they did. They did not do what the Lord said. And it is almost, it's almost shocking how brazen their disobedience is. Notice what they do. Jeremiah faithfully gives them the message they asked for. A response from the Lord, an answer from the Lord that they had said they would submit to. And they come back to Jeremiah and said, you're wrong. You're lying. Baruch put you up to this. Baruch? Poor guy. This is Jeremiah's scribe, but they pin it on him. They, they seem to think maybe he's got Babylonian sympathies. Well, here's Jeremiah who stood up to the king and everybody else in Judah and wouldn't back down on this message. Why should they think he's going to be influenced by his own scribe? Well, that's what they do. They say, well, Baruch must have, must have influenced you to deliver us into the hand of Chaldeans so they can kill us or take us into exile. What have these people learned through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem? Nothing. Live and don't learn. That's their motto. They're right back where they were before. I mean, surely Jeremiah should have some credibility by this point. Right? I mean, all they need to do is look at the smoking rubble of Jerusalem to see that Jeremiah ought to be listened to. No, Jeremiah, you're lying. Baruch somehow has messed with your mind. He's persuaded you to do this. We don't know what's going on, but we're not going to do it. Notice verse 4. The leaders, all the people, did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in Judah, but rather they take the people, and there's not much the people can do about this, pretty much by force, and say, we're going to Egypt. And so they take them, this whole list of people that it, it describes there, the men, the women, this is verse 6, the, the princesses, every person whom Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, you know, there in Mizpah, and that provisional government, and they take Jeremiah and Baruch with them. 
kind of hard to understand why, except maybe they just don't want Jer- Jer- uh, Jeremiah out, you know, running around doing whatever he would be doing, you know, kind of the keep your eye on your enemy sort of thing, keep your enemy close beside you so you know what he's up to. And Baruch, too, uh, presumably both these men taken uh, against their will, and they came into the land of Egypt, and again, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Now notice, you don't have to underline it, I've got it underlined in my Bible, 42 verse 6, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. But then notice chapter 43 verse 4, the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. And then again down in verse 7, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Toponese. And then you have that last warning uh, in standard prophet form where Jeremiah takes these stones and he puts them, and, and the Lord gives him this prophecy that the king of Babylon would one day put his throne over that place. You see, the safety of Egypt was a mirage. It was an illusion. There's no safety in Egypt, especially when you're going there in stark disobedience to the clear command of God. Where is safety found? It's not found in the Egypts that we dream up and imagine for ourselves here in this world. It's not found in going according to our own wisdom, particularly when that wisdom contradicts the wisdom of God that's given to us in Scripture and in accordance with Scripture, the leading of his Holy Spirit. There is no safer place than to be in submission to the Lord, listening to his word and following his Word. There is no safer place on earth, no matter what the neighborhood, no matter what the economy, no matter what your financial circumstances, no matter what your health, no matter who your enemies are, there is no safer place to be than walking in the will and in the word of the Lord. The options were set before them. They chose poorly. By God's grace, may you and I do better. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you and you only are our strong tower, our refuge, our safe place. Father, we look to you. We look to you for our well-being in this world, for as long as you have for us to live in this world. Father, we thank you especially that we look to you for our well-being in the world that is to come. We thank you that in Christ, Father, we do have a mighty fortress, one who shields us from even death and sees us safely home uh, to be present with you. Father, we pray that you would increase our faith. Lord, you tested their faith. You did send them to a hard place. Father, sometimes you send us to hard places. But, Father, we pray that in that test of faith, that we would prove stronger than they, that we would trust in you, even when circumstances look scary, even when you're leading Your word leads us completely contrary to human wisdom and human reckoning. Father, give us the faith, trust in you, even when it may be scary, because, Lord, we know there is no safer place to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.